0: Welcome to episode 200 of SoccerWorks, where we take a look at how soccer works in the U.S. and around the world. Three, two, one. Welcome to the SoccerWorks Roundtable series live at the bar of the U.S. Soccer AGM. This is a conversation with Kenny Farrell, president of the NPSL. Welcome to SoccerWorks, a roundtable live at the bar, U.S. Soccer AGM edition. And uh, in the background there, you hear Kenny Farrell, the, the uh, president, new president of the NPSL. Um, and what, what other titles do you, do you hold in soccer? Uh,
1: not many. Just that this one will do me for now. Yeah, that uh, the be president for now? Of the okay. NPSL. That's what I'm here for. Okay. I mean, obviously, I, I, I have the New Orleans Jester's in New Orleans, the, the team down there. So,
0: Which is two hours yeah. just mm-hmm. for everybody listening mm-hmm. who, who, who do listen or follow me on social media know that I, I live two hours east of New Orleans, right on the Gulf, uh, outside of Mobile. And so, yeah, I'm not far away. We need um, a team there. Yeah. So, um, so tell me, you've been in this position for what? Uh, a little over two months. Two it's months? 60 odd days, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, there's been a lot of conversation back and forth, a lot of speculation back and mm-hmm. forth about what does the NPSL look like, what does this Founders' Cup look like, yeah. what is, you know, so, you know, obviously not everything's been rolled out, every detail or whatever, yeah. but what you can share, wh- Where's what is the state of the NPSL kind of vision looking forward right now? Well,
1: uh, uh, let's start with the Founders' Cup. That That's really a yearning for our teams to play a longer season or to be professional players, and we're, you know, at the classic level, we're basically at, an amateur league and we want to be the top amateur league in the country. I think we're moving towards that. And I think people really enjoy the experience when they join uh, the MPSL. We've, over the years, we've, we've made a big national footprint. We provide a very good product at what we do. And a lot of teams are coming in where we used to be just college players, summer league. We're kind of a bit more than that, which is starting to replicate the rest of the world. So we have to move towards that somehow. We got to find the right way to move towards that. And then what happened with the Founders' Cup is a lot of teams like Detroit, a superb team, you know, great fan base. Chattanooga, great fan base. And then some of our teams that, are, that came back to the NPSL that were NASL, which is now, you know, obviously they can't play there, there's no way right. to play. So they get together and they're saying, okay, what, what's out there for us? Uh, they don't particularly want to be USL, they don't want to go to the, fran- you know, the franchise system yet, which is what I understand. Uh, But they needed something, but there was nothing else out there. So they got together, 11 teams, and talked about what could we do. And um, so the pathway forward for the MPSL is to look at that. And this Founders' Cup is going to happen after our Classic season ends, and it's going to run through November. And you've got all these teams that are going to play in it while we still figure out where our next step is. And we're working towards that, and that's what I won't talk about because that's the private stuff, right? So, sure. But but, what, but like the very uh, very good clubs, Chattanooga, Detroit, I mean, the, they're our flagship teams in, in the NPSL. New York Cosmos a huge club, as we know, that was in the NESL. M-
0: I don't think the American audience actually realizes how internationally yeah. known that brand is, the New York yeah. Cosmos.
1: So what we're doing is while we while we figure this out and we work together to see how that that the founders group is going to work with these teams, then we'll have a look at the future and what the next th- step is for the NPSL going forward. But we have great organizations that are in it. And it's exciting because it's getting people talking. It's getting people thinking outside the box. It's getting people not to look at the regular way of doing things. And, uh, and I don't think, I don't say that as any kind of negative on, uh, in, in anybody that's working in U.S. soccer because everybody's working to do things better for the country soccer-wise, you know, at the adult level, the amateur level, and the professional level. And uh, I think we're moving into a new phase of how people look at things. And um, I'm excited to be in that position to be able to help that along and nurture that and open to ideas of how we move the thing forward. The one thing we do recognize at the MPSL uh, is, definitively, we, are, we want to be the best amateur league in the country at what we do right now, and we're an amateur league on the USASA. But it's also a yearning, as I said, for the next step, and we're working towards that and working through that with a lot of great minds, a lot of great owners, a lot of great teams, and we'll see how that goes. But the Founders' Cup is extremely exciting, and uh, I think there'll be some great matchups. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> Chattanooga Football Club that started as an amateur team that has this fantastic fan base and, and now has national recognition, stepping onto the field against the New York Cosmos. Right. Or, you know, it, these are great games. I mean, great Detroit, stories. Detroit City. like I mean, I think even Detroit, when you look at what they've done in their neighborhood, I mean, globally people look at that. You look and you right. find articles all over the world about Detroit, and, and they're stepping onto the field against the Cosmos, or Chattanooga, or Miami, or whatever the case may be. And then you've got some other teams that may not have that recognition that get into that. And so that should help their brand locally when they have these teams playing. So let's see how it works out. Uh, everybody's working extremely hard, very diligently to get this thing done. And, and we'll see where it goes from there.
0: So you you mentioned that the uh, the classic season the the founders cup's going to begin after the classic season. That's right. So just not hard and fast dates if you don't have them but just kind of tentative windows. Classic season ends somewhere around where? We will end the first week in August. Okay.
1: And it's my belief and I think it, I, I don't have it in front of me but I think I think the
0: founders cup kicks off one week later. Okay. So the founders cup would then run into what October, November. Yeah. Uh, again, it's not in front of me, but as far as I
1: remember, I think the championship game will be the first week in November, and the playoffs will be late October. Okay. Uh,
0: okay. But again, don't hold me to that. But I think that's correct. Okay. So, um, without without prodding into private discussions, um, and I know that you guys have been having those for quite some time now, and a lot of friends in the in the league, and mm-hmm. the ownership of the league, and in. Uh, full disclosure here, you know, worked with you guys last year when it was running, when all this campaign for president of right. soccer, and you guys were so supportive in that. Thank right. you again for that. Um, without getting into any kind of disclosure issues, I don't want to do that. I don't want to press you for that. I'm not going to ask you for that. But looking down down the road, years. So let's not even look at concrete plans of what 2020 or 2021 looks like. But just down, down the road years. You've got clubs like chattanooga like detroit um you know your own own club the jesters Mm -hmm. have been mentioned in in the past Mm -hmm. of of having those kind of dreams and aspirations stockade you know has Mm -hmm. these long term ambitions as well and so many other clubs great clubs that are a part of the npsl that that aspire to dream and and looking for how do you how do you service that how do you accommodate that what you know uh, how do you how do you make those dreams become reality? What are some of the things, in a broad general standpoint, do you guys look at when you're considering possibilities for what the NPSL looks like down the road?
1: Well, I'll take it a bit uh, broader than that. I think okay. I think that we have a franchise system that looks very healthy and very stealth. The franchise system is Major League Soccer. And anyone that wants to tear that down, you can if you want, but at the end of the day, they've done a fantastic job. If you were working on that side of it, you look in it they've got these stadiums, they've got the big teams, they're getting big players, and there's money rolling. So, And then you've got the USL to put together a system on a franchise side that a lot of people don't want to become part of the USL. They don't want to be the, the franchise. But that's, that's not to, to, to denigrate their system and, and, and what they do. Sure. What we have on the... Uh, independent system side, like the independent leagues, is it appears that we have, in my opinion, just if I was to look at from thirty-five thousand feet, I'd say you've got a kind of it start. The, the nation is starting to organise itself. If teams and le- it's not teams, if leagues start to define where they're at and become better at what they do, more opportunities going to come from it. So, I think that those leagues need to start talking together, and I think there's room for the franchise system and the independent system. And what we need to do is stop getting distracted. Uh, by things that you know we can 't solve or we can 't control let 's let's say focus on what we can control and let 's build and let 's build and let 's stay away from the distractions and let 's put the energy into the positive things that we know are out there and if better, if better minds you know get, it, get in control of these things and can talk together, we could probably organize an independent system that that would be very very successful and I think that us soccer uh, to me I think they 'd be open to it if we had two systems. Uh, independent soccer and the franchise system of soccer. I
0: think that would be fine. You think you you, you think the federation would be open to that, or you yeah? Sure? I
1: don't think I don't think they they wake up every morning thinking how they're going to stop you know independent system soccer happening. I, I'm not. I don't buy into that. A lot of people do. I just think that, that everybody's too busy and then people are protecting their own territories. Sure. And, and I think, like, from the MPSL side, from our staff, our board of directors, and from everyone, we're very confident in what we produce, and our product, and we know we've got to get better at it. And, and, and But there's also other systems out there that, that could come together and develop a whole system of independent soccer. It's not our business if, if somebody else wants to run a franchise, so that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's what their business model is. We can actually put this together, and I would like us to start thinking in that manner long-term while we take care of something that we think is, is one of the best independent leagues in the US. The, what we've done over the last five or six years to get this national footprint is what gives us the opportunity to think and look at other things. So let's, let's stay focused on the things we can accomplish. And, and let's work towards them. And I think the independent system of the leagues, end of the day, is something I'd be very happy with if we move towards that. I know I want to move towards that. I want conversations to be in that direction. And then when you do that, and you become successful at it, people have to look at you and actually. you, and, and then you have more power to to, to talk and change the, the look of soccer long-term.
0: So when you use the phrase independent system of leagues, we're talking yeah. about connected, yes, sporting merit connected leagues, yep. right? Yeah. So... The, um, looking at the current landscape of the NPSL, right? Yeah. You, you, we've, we've touched on a few of the, um, really the, the top two kind of PR clubs, everybody champions, right? They're always going Chattanooga. They're always talking yeah. Detroit, right? Chattanooga, Detroit. Mm-hmm. But there, but there are a lot of clubs, other clubs that have built really good brands, communities, uh, connections, growth, uh, et cetera. I was, <clears throat> I was talking with someone the other day about, um, this idea that if we can, um, with independent clubs, like, you know, the clubs that are in the MPSL for example, and, and other clubs that are independent that may be in other leagues, or maybe there's some, some, some people that are looking to form an independent club, whatever. Um, if we could scale the work, learn from these examples that you guys have done, Chattanooga's have, have done, Detroit Stockade, um, and, and other these these NPSL clubs have done, for example, learn from those things and then begin to replicate similar success. Yeah, you know, especially in terms of the business scale where, mm-hmm. where things are starting to be self-supporting and mm-hmm. substantial in terms of operations where you can actually dare to actually dream about maybe we become professional one day kind of thing yeah. where right now we're a ragtag bunch of misfits you know we yeah. throw a team together if we could scale that from say a handful to 20, 30, 40, 50 I think in a very short order you're having a very different conversation about what the landscape of an independent system of leagues looks like, you know? you're,
1: you're exactly right. You're exactly right, that, and that's what we need to be looking at. Is you know, can we can we develop that over a period of time? The one thing about the MPSL, uh, the classic league, is that we, we operate an excellent league, staff wise, board wise, everything else. So it gives us the strength of the other stuff. And what you're talking about is stuff that when we take care of what we do, then it gives us opportunity to do those other things. How do we support those other clubs? How do we learn from those other clubs? How can you do that, you know, I'll just pick a, You know, Toledo, Ohio, how can we do that in these other parts of the US where this level of soccer that has the ambition to go up a step to semi-pro, to pro, to full pro, to division two, division one, how can we do that? Do you really believe in that right now on the independent side? I think people in the back of their mind would really, really like it to happen, but who's going to start talking about making it happen, and where's the support system for that? That has to come from organizations like ours who have to expand and say, okay, let me help you, or we can work with, if you're working with us, look, we're going to work with you to help you develop that. Because a lot of people want to, start. if you look around the world, I don't care what level of a team it is, most of the teams in the world, if not all, outside of the U.S., grew out of communities. Right. Community clubs. Community clubs. Whether it's Manchester United or whether it's Crew Alexandra, which is down the street from Manchester United, it it doesn't matter. They grew out of communities. That heartfelt ownership of that team is what I see soccer is, and that's what the independent system is. Now, we cannot just ignore that there's a franchise system because in in America, outside of soccer, the franchise system has worked for many, many sports. But I think there's room for both. And I think we... Uh, are probably strong, most strongly positioned as the MPSL, to help foster that growth. And this Founders Cup is a part of that. Let's have, let's have a look. Let's see what we can do. And can we grow our organization that can help that? And will other parties come in and work with that? And if everybody defines their level or creates a new level, let's make that work. That's where we need to be. And not, not just you know, get distracted by what anybody else is doing. You've just got to respect people for what they're doing. Let them go do
0: it but let us develop this. Right. So when we, when we look at community clubs and we look at making them stronger, one of the things that I've noticed in following um, soccer around the world, especially in Europe, and in traveling to Europe and going to matches, visiting clubs, you know, watching uh, environments where my son is training and playing in international tournaments over there, there is also not just a community aspect, but there's a generational aspect, Yeah. right? So you've got your senior team, but you're also looking at your reserves and your U23s and your U- U19s, yeah. so on and so forth, all the way down, you know, through the, the the word that's so often used in America, the academy, right? Yeah. Um, as part of this conversation or looking to the future and building out independent, you know league soccer in america is that part of the conversation that you guys are sharing and 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 debating and tossing around is the idea that hey we we go uh beyond just a a first team uh league of maybe you know community club a a true community club that's also generational in in terms of you know having some academies associated or, or a part of what we do
1: yeah, I think it has to be. And, and I think what's you know, the, the way the game has grown so quickly here over the last 20, 30 years with youth clubs and massive youth clubs and amalgamation of youth clubs and all this kind of stuff. It's, it, but they're still, even though they're out there, they're really just independent systems working together and like, it's sporadic. Right, There's a club here, there's a club there, there's a club there, there's another club here, there's another club there. And they're not affiliated really to anything, right? So it grew out of recreational soccer. USYSA has a big regional you know, 10 different age groups or eight different age groups with, you know, so many states, I understand, I get it, I get that. But when you get down to how are we going to produce, at the end of the day, world-class players in this country, how's our national team going to win a World Cup, let's be focused on that and start there and work from there backwards all the way down. Yeah, if you look at other countries, the youth clubs are affiliated, it doesn't matter what town you're in. It might be a division four level pro team or a semi-pro team. The youth club is attached to that. Right. They're the first people to scout the kids. Right. Their best coaches wanna get into the pro clubs. Right. In most countries. So, and they've gotta lend their ability back down to the youth. They're working, no matter where they start, they wanna work up the ladder. But the ladder's not connected. So what you're doing is you're leaving it behind. If we wanna find the best talent, train the best talent, develop the best talent, it's all gotta get connected at some stage. And that's a conversation that needs to be had. And that needs to come from the top down. You can't be in the community, you know, just say, just talking about this and trying to educate parents who pay the bills, or clubs who are doing extremely well financially, because they run their own little, their own system. Right. They don't need to go anywhere. The conversation needs to start. That, that Happens everywhere else in the world, and there is a connection. And the best players and the best coaches all always seem to come to the top. And if if you're if you come through a youth program that that's a recreational program somewhere, and you make it into their academy, and then all of a sudden you're looking at playing in their reserve team, and it might be a low-level team somewhere in some country, even the U.S. Right. And all of a sudden you're doing so well, you get into the into the MPSL team or the PDL team if it's if it's USL. It doesn't matter. Then all of a sudden, you're picked up for... And then some other club is picking you up from there. We're missing all those opportunities. I think there's more people, personally, people might think I'm crazy for saying this, that are eliminated at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old because they're not all-stars. Right. And we don't talk about it. And if you look at... When we, you know, obviously with our top players there's a lot of effort put in to make our top players the best in the world We've been, you know, we, we compete in World Cups at under 17, under 19 at the US but we really don't compete at the top level where we should be there's a bit of a fad about that it's, it's not really true sure. we're not up there well if you're cutting players out because at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 because you're not able to win a game for somebody at that. The best coach is gonna go with the best team. The other kid is going, so really when you're picking the best less than 1%, you're cutting out 99% of the other players that may be great players later on. The end of the day, the average level of the youth player in the United States is not good enough to produce world-class players. And I'm not talking about the micro, the best athletes. I'm talking about the macro. I'm talking about raising the level completely. That's why the system needs to get organized because the only way to do that is organize the system. If Pulisic was one of our best players, um, he got pushed by going to another country where right. the average player was better and, and the top players were better. Right. Our average player is not good enough. When we look at the top players, we don't look at the average. We've got to raise the average. It's a long-term
0: goal, but
1: it's a conversation we have to
0: have. Absolutely, and I think that is such a good way to, to talk through that Whole idea of connectivity, yeah, and n- not just you know looking at connectivity to a community, but connectivity generationally. What that means in terms of development, what that means in terms of quality, and and ultimately, you know, what that means in terms of our national teams um, as well as our domestic game. I mean, I, I, I did some research. I, I put some of this out uh, on a podcast recently looking at the dollar spend per sports fan of a sport in America. So when you look at American football and you look at the NFL, the the number per fan that is spent on average of a general American football fan is a little over $100 um, per fan. When you look at the NBA, it's um, it's right in that same one to two hundred dollar range. When you look at Major League Baseball, it's a little bit higher, but it's that's a little skewed because there's fewer fans, but there's 162 right. regular season games. So, you know, you start to see that just sheer volume of, of games. Yeah. Uh, you know, excuse that number. When you go to soccer and you look at Major League Soccer comparing NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, and you look at Major League Soccer, the the number per fan is less than $40. So there is a massive underperforming uh, of connection domestically with our game and the commercial yeah. piece. Yeah. And I think a lot of that goes goes back to quality. You know, on-field quality as well as that off-field quality of true connection to community, true connection generationally as well but also that connection to quality. Because you have these kids, they grow up and they can turn on now pretty much any league in the world and they can watch La Liga in Spain, which is my favorite league they can watch the Premier League they can watch the Bundesliga, they can watch the young Americans in the Bundesliga when you turn on, you know, a major league soccer, it it's not resonating with these young fans. The, the, the kids that really, really love soccer, generally by and large, are talking about Barcelona. They're talking about Liverpool. They're talking about Man City. You know, yeah. Borussia Dortmund. They're not going around going, "Hey, how about Houston Dynamo versus Atlanta United?" Not to say that that doesn't happen. I'm just saying on on the same scale, it's not there. And I think what you were alluding to in terms of creating an environment where that becomes the priority the quality rises and 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 then all of a sudden now everything becomes more attractive everything becomes more passionate every community becomes engaged with what they are experiencing in person but also what they're wanting to tune into on tv or follow on social media because it means something to them do you agree
1: no, absolutely. You're, like, you're hitting on something. What you're talking about is taking ownership of your local community's top team. And the connectivity, that, that top team is connected to the big team somewhere, and that big team's connected to the national team somewhere. But it's all about community, it's the local ownership. And the local ownership comes from bringing your players through. As you see in lower division soccer all over the world, they bring the lower players through and they go on to big teams and they become famous. You start to feel ownership of it. Until you feel ownership of it it's a, it's just an entertainment. Right. It's just entertainment. I'm going for an afternoon or an evening of soccer and it's two hot dogs and two beers. But what I'm saying is the ownership part of it, the passion side of it has to come from that. We're not connected that way yet. Right. And I think people need to start thinking that way. But I think that, you know, that's a that starts with a conversation of looking at things a little bit different and the conversation will lead to people actually starting to accommodate that. And that's a long-term goal, but that has to happen because sometimes you go to a major league soccer game, which is great. Don't get me wrong, it's great. But sometimes it feels it's just like an entertainment venue. Do I go there or do I go to the theater? Right. You know, um, sometimes it feels like that. And you can't say that when you talk about you know Atlanta and the passion they have there. But if you're bringing young players through that started in the recreational program 15 years ago that have gone on to play great level of college soccer or playing in the MLS and you're proud of that, you're tying the community into that and that is where the success is gonna come from. It's the ownership of the team from the community. But it's gotta be connected. It can't be a youth club out there and a, a lower league pro club there and a, some other club here and there's no connect- connectivity through the academy or through the connection to the clubs and through everybody having the same goal that's that's something
0: that we don't talk about a lot but we need to start talking about so another another uh, conversation i get into often about community clubs generational clubs mm. are local r- rivalries creating drivable matches that matter mm. right so You know, you and I are not far apart uh, geographically where we live. You know, a couple hours apart on the on the same interstate. You know, Um, so having local rivalries ratchets up the passion. It ratchets up ratchets up the energy, the buy in, the commitment uh, from the fans, from the players. Um, You know, living in Alabama. Uh, when you talk about American football it's rarely as much about the Saints except when they're getting hosed by the referees <laughs> right when We can, you and I can agree on this subject right I think all of New Orleans okay. boycotted the uh, yeah. Super Bowl over that yeah. I didn't see it I didn't watch it <clears throat> right but yeah. uh, I didn't watch the Super Bowl either um, but you know where I live in Alabama it's college football Alabama and Auburn right Is American football is, is, is so so big I I have told so many people that neither university is what they are today without the other. Absolutely. The codependency. The codependency of that rivalry Absolutely. has made them into the modern versions of what they are. Now, granted, Alabama's had more success. They're a, they're, a, they're a bigger program, a more storied program. But the level of where they are right now is directly attributed to the rivalry of having Auburn University... You know, an hour and a half, two hours away, and that that Iron Bowl every year is just, you know, so heated. Yeah. The, whole, the whole state talks about it 365 yeah. days a year. Yeah, That's an element to me that we've got to concentrate on in building independent soccer. is yeah. not just going, how can we find a team to go in this city? But it's yeah. like, how can we find a team and another team that's close by. So you create that back-and-forth rivalry.
1: You know, you've got derbies, and you've got classicos, and you've got everything in soccer that drive the... They drive every other game in the season because you're waiting for that one. Right. You know, and it's your passion that is like... The T-shirt you buy, the Christmas presents, the birthday presents—everything is of your color, right? Whether it's Alabama or or, or, or whatever team right. that is their biggest rival. LSU, from where I'm from, right. is a massive rival, right? Absolutely. So, uh, Mobile, New Orleans—you know—we should have that. We should have a better Gulf Coast region with the MPSL, uh, which we don't have, which we're striving to. But that that passion will is better for business. One but it's better for the sport overall. And it's, I'm talking about ownership. People taking ownership of their teams and getting involved in their teams and being passionate about their teams. And and, and when things go wrong, they'll be critical of you. And when things go right, they'll love you. Right. And uh, they'll work hard from nine to five every Monday to Friday because they want to see that game on Saturday or Sunday. They live for it. This is their way out. This is their passion. This, is their, this happens all over the world. And once we recognize, and I think people do, when are we gonna start moving? You've got to start with conversations first, right? and everybody's got to be in the conversation and say, you know what? You're right. That You're right. That's how it is. Now, how do we get there? Now, tactically, how do we get there? But, you know, philosophically, this is what we should be doing. This is the answer. Right. And uh, so the conversation has to start, like at the MPSL, you know, I know we've got a great opportunity because we're a very strong organization to have these conversations. We're not fearful of anything, and we're respectful of most but we will have the conversation and I'll continue to talk about it. And, and as long as I'm here, I'll just keep talking about that and see if people will move in that direction.
0: So how long have you been personally involved with the NPSL as a, as a club? You know, obviously I know you, you were on the, you were on the board before you became yeah. president. How long have you been associated with the I think it's NPSL? seven or eight years. Seven or eight years. Yeah. Okay. So in the seven or eight years that you've been on the board and now kind of Preparing for 2019 and then into the future, mm-hmm. what has changed? Where have you come from in seven, to eight years? Well, to Well,
1: for the MPSL when I first went there, it was it was had no national footprint. Um, I don't think it was really defined as a league as to what they were. They didn't know they were basically a renegade league that didn't want to be part of something else. And you know the passion kicked it off. And then we started to put some um, we started to put some vision on what we could be and where we where, where we could go. And a decision. Strategic decision-making was based about building a national footprint Having the ability for teams that did not want to be in a franchise system to be independent teams that could play in a league and do the same thing We did that well, so we had to identify that we were about player opportunity and we we didn't run the combine this year because we have the founders cup starting and we ran we we developed a a player combine uh, over the last four or five years where Honestly, players want to play because they want a, a chance to go somewhere. If they're their best players, they can represent their region. or they can, We developed that. We developed a, a national TV show that reflected on every game across the country. We were having games filmed and showing highlights, and everyone was connected together. And it, we just started to build assets, and people started to buy into the assets we were building. And now the clubs who are playing short seasons and dependent a lot of them very dependent on college players are now looking for extended seasons because they're not just college players. And when you look around that, and I'll use England as an example. I come from the British Isles. I'm Irish, but I come from there. And you look at the conference, and you look at they have, you know, professional teams or they have high-level amateur teams that play very high-level soccer, and they're playing year-round. Well, we're looking at that too, and we're starting to, to you know, prospect that we need it. We need right. it. I think that helps American soccer get better overall but understanding where you are in, in the game is very important because I, I often talk to people that have something going for them and then they start saying, well, we can do this, we can do this, we can do women's, we can do kids, we can do this, we can, we can do everything. Not, focus on what you're doing, make it better and keep improving on it and then if we keep doing that, we'll get organized naturally, right, and everybody will benefit from it. And I hope we can go that way. I think the, MPSL on, the on the myself and Joe, when we were, when we were organizing this, is it, we I think we did well. I mean, not I hate to you know pat ourselves on the back, but we did a great job developing a national footprint and something that everybody could benefit from if they played in the league. And the value of getting into our league was there. It wasn't non-value. It, it's real value. you ether see in it. It's there. And we want to move that on to the next level because it's given us the opportunity to do that. We're trying to figure out what that is. Right. We're looking at that through the Founders' Cup, and fair play to every team in the Founders' Cup that has taken you know, some risk, to be honest sure. with you, to go and do it. So let's make it work, and, and then we'll, we'll figure it out as we go forward into 2020, 2021. And maybe if we, you know, if, we, if we all listen and talk to each other, we'll get great ideas out of every organization in the country because it's the only way it's going to happen. At the end of the day, you know, I say let's produce world-class players and let's win a World Cup. Every one of us has a piece in creating that. Right. And we have a responsibility for that. So with that in the back of your mind is you can only do what you can control and be good at. You can't worry about what you can't control. So make what you do the best it can possibly be and work with the others that do other stuff. So let's let's look let's like change the perspective and let's start working together to make that happen.
0: So I wanna ask a, <laughs> a um, procedural question. Sure. So looking at the U.S. Soccer bylaws and policies. Yeah, the um, it allows for any club in the country to sign a professional player mm-hmm. and um, and register that contract. Go through the, they have a process that you know anybody out there, you can download, you can find the bylaws and policies, mm-hmm. you can read them, and it walks you through the process. Mm-hmm. It's, you know that part is uh, for all the con- conspiracy theorists out there on on every issue mm-hmm. who thinks that you know everything is hidden and. There are, there are a lot of things that you can actually find and you may not agree with all of them, but there are a lot of things that are documented. And so looking at some of that documentation that is there, you can see a pathway for a project like this to happen. Yep. My procedural question is, are there, looking at that, are there any roadblocks or hurdles to going down that pathway with being sanctioned under an organization like U.S. Adult Soccer, does NPSL as, a, as an organization, do you have the ability to have professional players yeah. in your organization, procedurally, kind of? Yeah, kinda, kinda
1: yeah up, no, so, so look, you know, if you want to get procedural, we learn as we move forward, as we delve into new things, the things that we don't understand that we're now getting to understand. We can sign professional players on the USASA, it really comes down to how are they insured and what's your insurance policy, right? So US Soccer will consider a non-paid professional contract as a professional player and you have rights to the player, as I understand it, but the insurance company mightn't think the same thing. They, they, we, 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 and if you're on a pro contract and non-paid, from what I understand, an insurance on the USASA we, we will be covered. But if you pay the player, we may not be covered. So we're looking at new ways to cover that. We're working with insurance insurance companies, additional insurance insurance to cover. So there's little roadblocks that, you know, the regular public won't be interested in at the moment. But when you talk about procedurally, yeah, there's all, and there might be something else that comes behind that that we don't know. But what we do is take a look at that and say, how can we fix it? It can always be fixed if you've got the right people trying to figure it out. Right. And I think we have that. So um, when it comes to you know, the, the Founders Cup itself, they'll all be professional teams. The Insurance won't be a problem there, so we'll figure out a little deal with you know, what's going on with the Classic League and the, some of the Founders Cup teams are playing in there with full, full paid pros, then we gotta figure that one out. Right. So there's little things. But pathway forward, in the general perspective, no, I don't think anybody's causing us any problems. Uh, U.S. soccer is not causing nobody's worried about that. that everybody's okay with everything that we're doing but we will have little things growing that we have, we'll have growing pains right and what we do is every time we find a growing pain let's deal with it take it sort it out find the answer find the solution nobody's getting in our way right you know so with that no I would say nobody's getting in our way no one's trying to cause a problem but we will find little problems here and there that we have to figure out a way to solve it because we have not been in this realm before so
0: so, so. As you are going through the growing pains, you're planning, mm-hmm. you're looking, we've talked a lot about, you know, independent connected soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, have there been have there been, and you know, you may not be at liberty to, to, to discuss, but have there been any conversations about working with other leagues? You don't have to name them, but other leagues in the country and, and connecting with them from a league to league type of connection.
1: No, I think there's been an over I think there's been a general conversation that goes on about the independent soccer leagues but there's been nothing official nothing
0: official nothing no. substantive so <coughs> coming to this AGM yeah much different than last year's yeah. AGM yeah um, you know last year's AGM there was all this height pressure energy eight candidates yeah. Presidential election. I wish I was here for it. I wasn't. Right. It was it was insane yeah. in terms of the the, the pressure and the mm-hmm. and the and the energy. Mm-hmm. This year's AGM has been much more subdued. It's been more of a procedural. Go through the motions. We got yeah. a few things you yeah. know want to check off, whatever. Yeah. Um, looking at um, you know these these last few days, one of the sessions that I thought was most positive from U.S. soccer and anyone that listens to my podcast knows that I'm always looking at soccer in America and how to do it better so sometimes or in some in in some people's minds maybe all the time or a lot of the time I'm critical of you know a league or the federation or you know certain decisions policies but it's always from a, of a, a viewpoint of how do we become the best version of ourselves? That's always what drives me Right. is how do we c- become the best? And so I want to, I want to give a little credit where credit is due. And I think you were in there for at least some of this, um, today, the U S open cup Q and a where, where the committee was having a meeting kind of yep. conversation. They were yep. open so, some ideas. That was probably the most positive, um, meeting of this uh, AGM that 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 I saw uh, personally saw, um, I, I I liked some of the things that they were at least discussing. Right, nothing settled. But did did you from, yeah. from what you heard? Did you like some of the things that they were yeah. were discussing?
1: Yes, uh, I did. I, I think these are indicators, right? So. I, I'm not you know, a member of US Soccer, I'm sure, behind closed doors and everything they went on last year. They're like, maybe we're out of touch. You know, with, right. we're, Maybe we're out of touch. And, uh, and they start like, introspecting a little bit, and you've got a change in leadership. And, and that's not to blame the last people who were there. You might have got separated a little bit. But when I assess uh, everything that I've come here to, to view, basically, I'm looking for indicators as to how we move our organization forward. So I'm wide open to indicators, and what, what I saw today in that meeting is that there's a change. Right. That they're open, they're listening, and they're genuinely listening. They're not listening, you know, for the sake of it. And, and um, I, I, I think they mean business. Now look, actions...
0: Speak louder than words, but, Speak louder than but words. But the words were good. That's the words, what I took to The words
1: were very good, and their actions will speak louder. And um, I think they've been very open to it, and I think it was a very honest meeting i think it was uh, i think they truly want to do the right thing with the US Open Cup and they want to listen to people that want to give them you know, show us how to make this happen and i think they want the US Open Cup to be like for, for people as we said earlier take ownership of it and, and and be you know really proud of it and 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 live the dream of making the next round and and all these things were in there right so i uh, i'm with you on that i'm on the, i i i came away Feeling positive about that, and I think that's an indicator, hopefully, as to what's happening all across uh, our right. governing body.
0: So, as as you uh, you we want to kind of wrap up the AGM in in this weekend. Uh, when does the NPSL Classic season? You know, because that's going to be kind of the next big thing yeah. for for you yeah. s- specifically. When does that season start to kick off?
1: So on our West Coast, uh, they, they don't depend heavily on college players. They kicked off already. Okay. So they play, you know, they've already started. But for most uh, of our regions, um, they kick off basically the first week in May. Okay. Uh, that type of thing. I mean, some of the teams might start training and playing friendlies before that, but it gets
0: serious around that time. So one of the, the last things, looking at where you are with the, the league, and the Founders' Cup, and, and looking at new ideas and and building on that. Um, what are you guys looking at in terms of Open Cup? Is that yeah. gonna be something that you guys embrace as part of that kind of Founders' Cup and, yeah. and, and classic, like yeah. we're gonna go all in and try to yeah. really embrace that Absolutely,
1: absolutely. I've been working with Sean Flynn from Miami FC. Uh, I'm the chairperson of obviously the MPSL. Yes. And um, he is kind of the the head of the group that is playing in the Founders Cup, and um, discussions are really good, very positive. And um, all you know, once we once we get the, the, the Founders Cup um, schedule organized and all those teams ready to play, we'll talk about various other sort of things, including U.S. Open Cup and everything else. Look, the Founders Cup. Um, and all the energy that's going into it. These guys are taking a risk, by the way, you know, and you've got to admire them for it. They want to move it forward. Maybe you could easily jump into the USL or a lot of these teams or do whatever they, they need to do. But this, this is, if this is done correctly, um, and we work hard, and it won't be because it'll be imperfect. Because anything you start up with will be imperfect. But, but they're, they're brave teams that are trying to move this thing forward, and we're going to operate the league for them. Basically, they're an independent organization, they're, they're a separate corporate entity. Even though they play in our league, they're a separate corporate entity. And we're going to manage it through our staff and operate it through our staff um, and, and our organization. But we, they also play in our league, so it, 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 it kind of fits in. Uh, we 're evaluating it as it goes forward we 've got to do the best job we possibly can with it and then and then learn from it and the, the stepping stones, right? it's stepping stones right um, it 's stepping stones it 's an important part it 's an important part of uh, of our operation and I think it's uh, these are going to be indicators of to how we move forward in the future you know I would like multiple levels of right. of, of, of of independent soccer. From the teams that can spend 10 million a year to the teams that can spend one million a year. But they've got to play where they can play. They've got to meet the minimum standards where they can meet the minimum standards. Um, they've got to be able to produce and not fail in the communities. The worst thing we can have is failure in the community. They, so all these things, so it is a risk for everybody. It's a risk for us at the MPSL in a way, but it's a good risk. Um, so so we've got, to, but we've got to help make it as successful as possible because from that I think we can bounce on to other stuff. Right? And I think the conversations are good. You've been here, and I hope you've got the same sense I did, that uh, whatever happened, the contention last year and everything that went on and not making the World Cup and then people saying they're disengaged with the youth or this, that. I think there's a different approach personally. Um, I could be wrong, but they're the indicators I'm picking up on, and we'll do our best to do what we can, uh, what's within our you know purview to make it happen.
0: Fantastic one last one last wrap up question I probably you said something that kind of sparked sparked this this yeah. idea so looking at at the you know multiple levels idea that you were just yeah. mentioning you know ideally you would have clubs that operate different mm-hmm. levels one of the things that um, I look at when I study what we do domestically versus what we we know happens around the world uh, in terms of how countries run their Competitions is professional league standards. Yeah, and you know every um, you know every league has some set of standards. Uh, what I've found to be the big dif- difference between U.S. soccer and and the mentality of of professional league standards in America versus uh, say Europe is that in Europe the the standards are often much more detailed. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, by hundreds of pages of more detail, right? Um, Much more expansive, but the key focus of all of those standards are about club mobility and club viability. Yeah. So whatever league you are in, it is preparing you for the next league up, Exactly. Right? And when you get to a league, it is preparing you for the next league or to stay in that league. Yeah. Um, and there's a variety of mechanisms and, and, and resources and things yeah. that they do. And you know, we don't have to get into all the specific specifics of that. In America, we've looked at completely non-soccer, non-club-related you know uh, rules when it comes to yeah. the, the idea of a professional yeah. league standards, uh, in the way that U.S. Soccer has constructed them for what they classify as professional leagues, right. and and I don't even I'm not I'm not bringing this up to even go into the U.S. Soccer professional league yeah. standards. I'm I'm bringing this up to look at what what NPSL looks like when you're looking at multiple tiers as an ethos as mm-hmm. a um, a core kind of foundational principle something you aspire to mm. is it more akin to looking at inspiration from what you see working in England and Spain and Germany mm. in terms of preparing clubs for where they are yeah. and where they want to go yeah. versus more arbitrary yeah. well, that's uh, a deep kind question. Of uh,
1: is it? and I understand what you're saying because like professional league standards let's be honest they're, they're artificial right they're, correct uh, I mean they're created by people that don't own teams they're created by people that, you know, and, and, and I'm actually not knocking those people are doing that because they had to get somewhere Right after the World Cup in 1995 or 1994. They had to get somewhere with a Division One team. And if you understand that, so you, you kind of know how it came to that. Sure. Right? So on the other hand, you have the team that can come from nowhere, a Wimbledon. Right. That goes to the Premier League. In four straight seasons, right. from non, you know—from conference soccer in England, you know before it was—it well, wasn't the Premier League; it was Division One back then. And they were able to do that on merit. And but the thing is, you have to meet minimum standards every time you move up. Which, but if you're successful, investors and money is coming into your club, right? And if you're—and your community's behind it, and people realise that, so. I think the conversation, I think people are pondering the conversation right now, which I think is a good start. Because you've got, on one end of the spectrum, you've got U.S. soccer that created these minimum standards because they're afraid that teams will fail and you know, leagues won't go. And justifiably you know. so. Yeah, yes. Justifiably it, so. That's what I'm trying to say. And I think sometimes we get lost where people are thinking they're trying to put us out of business. But there's a fear on their end. But there's, I think, Well, I would hope, and from what I sense, that we're starting to listen to this, right? And then on the other end, you look at what the world has done, and we talked about community soccer later on. And you look at Bournemouth, who are significant in the Premier League. And when I was growing up in England, they were a, a Division Two team, which was, back then, Division Three or Four before the Championship and the, and the Premiership. And and, and and they were just a local team. Right. And the, it, it, I don't think there's that, the, 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 I, I don't believe the amount of people they can at a full house would meet the standards for major league soccer
0: they do not
1: right so 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 what i'm saying is like i'm not trying to criticize people here i'm trying to say that was done for a reason right on one end on the u.s soccer side professional league standards now we have this growth of the game which we know would be extremely healthy coming out of communities so we've got it on the other end of the spectrum so i actually think there's a possibility that these could start looking and say, well hold on a second. You know, there is a fear of failure, right? Because it doesn't look good. It doesn't, whether it's U.S. Soccer's brand or anybody else's brand, there's that fear. I think that can start moving together. And, and I think the only way we can do that is by respecting each other and where we came from and then having a conversation about it and say, you know what, you're probably right. You know what, you're right as well. And then when you look at those things, say, okay, how do we do this? That's the best way to get the solution. That's the best way to get the solution. It's not by throwing bombs and, and everything else. We found that out. Right. You know, we found that out what it needs to be is a conversation. And I think real people will, will stop and talk. And why when I, when I say that is because, you, you know, you had a positive feeling from the U.S. Open Cup meeting. So did I. And that's an indicator that we have a chance to start that conversation.
0: It's fantastic. And it's a great place to in this conversation with uh, Kenny Farrell of the npsl the new orleans jesters (laughs) and um thank you so much for coming on the show and i'm sure we will talk again soon all
1: right take care thanks for having us i don't know how this happened but it did awesome (laughs) all right take care
0: thanks for listening to this soccer works roundtable series live at the bar of the u.s soccer agm this has been a conversation with kenny farrell president of the npsl i'd like to thank kenny for coming on the show As always, you can learn more about Soccerworks by visiting wrk.mn forward slash Soccerworks. Until next time.